0: hello everyone my name is suki thompson welcome to reset the podcast a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life i do hope that your journey to feel more connected more inspired just a bit more energized starts here take a moment now with me to reset the power of stories and learning have always been a key passion for my guest this week the powerful creative and occasionally controversial gary lace he's a former ceo of some of london's biggest advertising agencies and now a founder at Storians. He speaks candidly about his own personal journey. We talk about what he has learned through his leadership experiences and career resets, and why staying tethered is now so important to him. We explore together how to inspire leaders to tell their own stories, how to show real vulnerability, and to recognize that their most important assets in business really are their people. I hope that this frank and open conversation will inspire you to open up about your own well-being journey, and particularly to take time to listen to someone else on Time to Talk Day. It's the 2nd of February, 2023. By providing your people with a safe space to share their own stories, you might just make a real difference to someone's life. If you enjoy this podcast, please tick the like box and share it with your colleagues and friends. Thank you. Gary, good afternoon. How are you?
1: Good afternoon to you, Suki. Uh, I am very, very well, actually. Yeah, thank you for asking.
0: Good, on a scale of one to 10, how energised do you feel today?
1: Well, I, I'm probably at a nine, and I, I don't say that because I, uh, I'm always at a nine, but I find myself today uh, on the edge of the Brecon Beacons, en route to a weekend uh, called the Like-Hearted Leaders Retreat, where um, a whole bunch of interesting leaders are getting together for a couple of days in a farmhouse in Wales to mm-hmm. you know, share notes and share stories and uh, share some of their trials and tribulations so I'm a nine only because I'm hugely looking forward to it
0: oh gosh how nice how interesting that someone like you that's been a leader for so long would go on uh effectively a retreat or, or a place where you think you can learn more about being a leader
1: yeah I mean <clears throat> I, I suppose um uh, every day's a school day as we all know um (laughs) and I think one of the I guess I suppose two of the things that I've really learned uh in getting older is that and it's particularly true I think of this current moment and post-pandemic um is that learning is really the most important currency you can have actually and the desire to keep learning and to keep developing and to keep finding ways of um, both improving what you're doing and thinking about improving yourself I, I find fascinating I find it invigorating uh, and I think it's hugely important um, I wish I'd sort of known it at 30 but we can come on and talk about that
0: yeah um, yeah and
1: you know so that's the first thing and the second thing is I, I just enjoy meeting people the more I've learned about myself over the years I've I've realised that I I really enjoy people um, uh, who've got energy and ideas and contagious enthusiasm. So this group that I'm about to spend some time with have got that in spades. Uh, you know, in in you know, absolutely yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Lots and lots of those people are are going to be great to, to to meet. So yeah, for those two reasons, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Good, excellent, excellent. Well, you know, uh, this is the beginning of my third year of the podcast. We've had nearly half a million listeners. Incredible. Um, And I know you and I have talked about doing this together for a little bit of time. And I think this is the right moment. And I think it's the right moment. And those people that do know you and perhaps have come across you in the industry, it might be a moment to either... Uh, confirm their views of you, or maybe address them and make them think about you in a slightly different way. And then I think for people that don't know you or youngsters that know you in a different, very different capacity, uh, I know that they will love the conversation that we're going to have. Um, I was kind of reviewing some of the press coverage of you uh, earlier on over the last few days, and I think the, the, the expression that highlighted perhaps you for me, is is repeated quite a lot, which is Gary Lace is a colourful and controversial figure.
1: <laughs> and as I often say, when people uh, quote that back to me, if only I was half as interesting as people think I might be, I would probably be worth knowing. But uh, yeah, listen, I, I mean, we can talk about both of those words. The, there is no doubt that in at certain points in my career, I've made uh, some interesting decisions um and um some of those have gone well and some of them have uh, gone not so well um and in doing so there's no doubt that you know that has caused people to uh to kind of raise their eyebrows and certain people have been affected both positively and negatively so you know i i, I understand uh, those two words uh i think i'm not quite as colorful nor quite as controversial as people would uh, people would say and there is definitely a truism in the fact that i have mellowed considerably uh, over the uh, yes. over the years but
0: yes well i think we have um you know the theme obviously the podcast is called reset and i think there's very few people who have reset their career and their life as much of you as you but i would also caveat that with with as much enthusiasm um, and we will come on and talk about that because I am fascinated as to how you constantly not only reset yourself but do it with such vigor, curiosity, and interest. Um, but also, you know, we we have known each other for actually quite a long time. Um, there are several. Stories uh, sorry,
1: sorry, sorry, yeah. to cut across you there, but also worth saying as well. Not only have we known each other for a, for a huge period of time but you have been one of my great friends and one of my um still obviously remain one of my great friends but have been as supportive uh, and as helpful and has as caring uh, as anybody in my um certainly professional um but but definitely in my universe over that time so given that i am on this podcast with you Uh, And I'm delighted to be so. I just wanted to publicly acknowledge that, that you have been and continue to be um, a very important part of my life.
0: Thank you, Kerry. And you are to me, too. And we will talk a little bit more about that as well, because I think you are, for me, one of the um, you are a fascinating friend to have, but you also have. You know, quite a lot of different life lessons for me and for people around me, and also my kids. Because you and I know your children very well. You know my kids very well. So, um, and I think we'll cover some of that as well. So, but let's start with you know, as as I was about to say, there are several stories we absolutely cannot tell uh, on this podcast, but there is one story that I'm gonna because we're gonna have the kind of whole storytelling creativity piece throughout this. Because uh, you know, if I think about you creativity, storytelling, and humor are three of the things that feel like to me they're at the heart of your soul. Um, So when we first met, I had set up Haystack. And for those people that don't know, Haystack is a a business that helps client find agencies. You were the newish, I think, chief exec of TBWA. At the time, That's right.
1: the new, the newish, the newly installed uh, CEO of TWA.
0: You were uh, Johnny Hornby had left and started uh, his new agency, and I remember it well because it was a client, and I can't actually remember if it was the AA or the or British Gas. You it might was the. Uh,
1: I can remember it. It's it's uh, it's etched in my soul and my heart. It's it was the AA, Suki. It was
0: the AA with uh, dear Claire Salmon, um, mm-hmm. and I came to see you. Uh, to talk about whether we might put you on the list or not and uh, I did the same thing with Johnny so I remember saying to Johnny Johnny literally you've got like about four and a half people um you can't get onto the list and I said to you you know it's all very well Gary but actually you know the work's not great and I don't Mm -hmm. think the cultural fits very good so uh you can't get on the list um, and that's where our sort of journey began. So why don't you tell the story of what happened then and then a few weeks later?
1: Well, yeah, we had 404 and a half people, didn't we? Um, and uh, and still couldn't get on the list. And I remember being gutted. And it was the first time we'd met, of course. And, um, of course, in characteristic at that time, you know, Gary, self-centered, uh, lace, styly. I, uh, I assumed that it wasn't about the agency at all, that it was all about me. And uh, perhaps you didn't uh, like the cut of my jib, uh, which, of course, you know, wasn't true. So I decided, um, uh, as you will remember, to try and uh, perhaps pique your interest in getting to know me a little bit better uh, by furnishing you with a gift. Yes. And um, I found out that one of our sister companies who were down the road were actually having a meeting with you Um Uh, I think maybe three or four days later, late on in the day, actually, it was, wasn't it? At about 4.30, 4.45. So I put my thinking cap on and I thought, well, how is the newly installed chief executive of, you know, one of London's most creative agencies? How could how could I possibly begin to surprise and delight you in a way that might give me a little bit of personal cut through and indeed present you with a gift that you might at least enjoy and um, find somewhat memorable? So. If you want me to carry on with the story, unless you want me yeah. to that's what we want no, no, to keep know. going. So I decided um, looking back on it now, probably, you know, foolishly and daftly, but maybe I would still do this today to don the black tie of the uh, 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 of the milk tray man or the black suit of the, the milk tray man and, and wander down to the offices of our said parent company or sister company and uh, walk through the corridor to your meeting which was glass fronted
0: yes it was those (laughs) new glass fronted (laughs) what we thought at the time were very posh offices where you could literally see the whole way through the office
1: exactly and um uh, and so trying to appear as if i was uh, the man from the advert carrying literally carrying a box of milk tray i then walked through the offices and uh proceeded to open the door and deliver the milk tray and then leave silently um, only to follow it up with a, uh, I hope that allows you to have a slightly different point of view about me in perspective. So yeah, I do. I do remember that very well, but can I just say, yes. given that it uh, is now many, 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 many years later and um, many years of very, very enjoyable and brilliant friendship, it worked.
0: Yeah, it did. It did. <laughs> it, did. it did. It absolutely did. It absolutely did. And actually funnily enough, One of the things I will say to my kids, there are two people in my life who are both very colourful and slightly controversial. You and Peter Cowie, who was my business partner, Oyster Catchers. (laughs) And the two things you have, uh, you've actually got a lot in common, funnily enough. But the two things are, you are tenacious about when you think that you actually do have a, a point of view or is right or that... Somebody has made a mistake about your business or perhaps even about you, but more about businesses, actually, that you will just keep going until they either tell you to completely fuck off or they change their point of view. And uh, and I do often say to Jazz and Sam and many of the people that I mentor that, you know what, just because people say no doesn't always mean they mean no forever.
1: Yeah. And listen, I, I think, you know, I'm I'm very honoured, by the way, to be in the same sentence as, as Mr. Peter Cowie. Um, has <laughs> a much better line in glasses than I do and uh, and way more talented than I'd ever be. But um, very kind of you to even put us in the same bracket. Listen, one of the things I do say to my team and, you know, I really want to stress the fact that this is a professional point of view in a professional environment, I do think that if you assume that no is maybe just the beautiful beginning towards, you know, the, the, the journey to a yes, it is, you know, it, it is of course not necessarily true all the time, but in a professional context, I think it does speak to that point about, about the ability to try and approach things differently, to see a problem in a different way, to approach something in a, a different way in the hope that you can actually um create a different result and I, and I, and I think that's actually quite an important general lesson in life actually which is you know there are many many ways to solve a problem and uh, just because that first way that you've thought about doesn't solve the problem doesn't mean to say that you can't ultimately solve it in a variety of different ways so that there, there's a serious point behind that kind of um that that, that journey to 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 a yes but but I, th- I I've always I've always found and always felt that that's, you know, one of the most important things to factor in and, and mm-hmm. think about, particularly in a business context.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, whatever kind of business you're in, it is one of those things that you have to constantly overcome. And I think particularly entrepreneurs, you know, there's a lot of those there are yeses and it's one of those things to kind of be tenacious and keep going. And as you say, and I like that phrase. Um I guess if I think about your career and, and in many ways, you know, when you know, when my team look at what you've done, for example, and the young ones that don't know you, they'll say, Oh, wow, this is amazing. So, you know, you ran TBWA and Lowe's these amazing creative agencies, you've been in education, you've written books, you're now in a, another business, you've set up your own agency. Um My observation of you, and actually perhaps as a character as well, to a certain extent, is you have an extraordinary ability at the beginning to be interested and interesting. And to your point, you know, kind of fly at stuff full tilt, which I see quite a lot of people do. Um, You then after about... and and this may be unfair, I don't really know what the timelines are, but in my head, it's a sort of 18-month to two-year period. Either you get to the stage of going, okay, could we fly a bit faster, please? And you fly too close to the sun, and it goes spectacularly wrong. Or you get bored, and you go off in the other direction and just kind of walk away. Um, But what you do do is is kind of exert quite obsessive behaviour for that period of time. And if I reflect on you as a personality, most people that I know with very highly obsessive behaviour have become alcoholics, drug drug addicts, or some sort of addictive personalities that they've then had to curtail. Uh, And um, maybe you have, and I don't know about that, but I don't think you have. And I am fascinated by that. Not only do you kind of do it, but you've done it again and again. What have you learned? Is that fair to start with? And then what have you learned about yourself that perhaps might stop you doing it for another time?
1: Yeah, listen, it it, not only is it fair, it's incredibly fair. and And I think certainly in the early part of my career, and I'm going to draw a line between, Almost pre 50 and post 50 in a way. I mean, I'm 55 now. Okay. Let's say, let's say, yeah. And we'll talk about my 50th year, maybe. So I I think it's very fair. I I mean, let's just come back to the alcohol and the drugs piece for a minute, because one of the, um, to my huge amusement at the time, one of the great rumors, I say great, because it wasn't great in the sense that who cared about it, but in the advertising industry, you know, the, the, the ad world was such that. Um, There was a lot of gossip flying around, but I remember, I remember a very, 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 somebody very close to me um, once uh, took me to one side and said, um, Gary, can I just talk to you about something? I said, yeah, of course. I said, "Um, I'm very worried about you because I've, there is a very, very significant rumor wandering around Adland that you are a cocaine fiend and and that you are, are, uh, 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 you know, addicted to it. Now, for anybody that knows me and knows the physical shape of me, that has been not, uh, 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 you know, has not really changed much over the years, that, this is a podcast. So those of you who don't know, let's just say that I'm built more for comfort than speed. Um, I took <laughs> one look at this. I, t- I took one look at this person and said, if only, frankly, because maybe it would help me look slightly differently than I do now. But... So I can happily confirm on this podcast, once and for all, for anybody who <laughs> shared that rumour over the years, I, I have never, nor will ever, be a drug addict, um, an alcoholic. Um, uh, I may be, you know, high on life occasionally, but, uh, you know, and I, and I think I don't joke about those things because they're very serious. And, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, for those people with those addictions, um, life is very, very tough. So... I, I I tell that story not to make light of it, but I, I tell that story just to make sure that I can confirm once and for all that, you know, that obsessive behavior that you describe that's very, very clear to me um, didn't translate itself into those behaviors. Listen, it translated itself into other behaviors for sure. Um, and, and one of those was, as you describe it, you know, this notion that I could be a comet, not a star, uh, somebody that would shine very, very brightly for short periods of time, mm-hmm. uh, rather than, you know, very brightly for a long period of time. And, you know, very many great people that I've had the pleasure of working with over the years, um, you know, and hired and and um, helped, I hope, uh, even in some small way. Nicola Mendelssohn, who, you know, is obviously now one of the most famous people in in the world of tech, you know, would often ha- ha- had said to me, you know, you Very much like Icarus, Gary, you know, prepared to fly a bit too close to the sun. And I think that's probably true and was true. So, listen, I I acknowledge it. I I think two things, Suki, if I could just um, answer your question specifically. Over the years, I have learned that there are other ways of me fulfilling my desire for new things, um, new opportunities, new interests, other than simply by changing what I'm currently doing um and I'll give you a very good example of that the the business that I'm currently running and involved in and am a partner in um uh, I, I after about 18 months thought okay I wonder what we're going to do now and I wonder where the business is going to go and I wonder how we're going to grow it and I wonder you know and I I had all sorts of thoughts that I might wander off and uh you know try and change the world with it and actually I sat down and thought to myself what what's what lies at the heart of that Gary well What lies at the heart of it is I wanted to just keep meeting interesting people and I wanted to keep trying to develop interesting thoughts. So actually, I thought to myself, how can I do that? So I actually started a podcast (laughs) and that podcast was called Stories That Matter. We still do it and I still host it. And uh, it didn't have any major strategic intent other than I wanted to meet some interesting people that I'd always wanted to meet and interview them and talk to them. And, you know, that that's a way that I've managed to quell. Um, a little bit of a kind of restless nature around, right, what am I going to do next? And, you know, in the context of the existing business I run. And the second thing that I have done is I have deliberately gone and sought and and got help um, to try and bring me some understanding of really the person I am and what I can do to help myself. And you know, one of the things that's happened to me in the last two or three years is I I, um, I, I, I worked with, and we still do as a client, a leadership advisory firm, wonderful firm um, called RHI in America, and uh, two fabulous senior consultants, one of whom you know, actually, David Astorino, hmm. um, did a Hogan assessment for me very kindly, which is one of the premier sort of personality and um, profiling tools. And your behaviors and traits. And um, it didn't say anything that I didn't know necessarily around my personality and the way that I am and, 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 and who I am. But actually what then happened was that David followed that up with a very kind uh, gift in that he gave me two hours of his time to review that assessment. And what he said to me during those two hours has stayed with me and will stay with me forever now, because he gave me two words and those two words were really a summary of what was a sort of two hour conversation and, a, you know, an hour and a half sort of assessment, um, which many people in this podcast will have, you know, done either through Hogan or Insights Discovery or many of those others. And he said to me halfway through our second hour, he said, you know, Gary he said, you've got so many wonderful traits, You've got so many wonderful things that you can bring to people, but you just need to be mindful to stay tethered. <laughs> and. When he when he uttered those words, they really they really kind of you know I was very I was arrested by them and I was very struck by them and I loved them actually because I thought wow I, I wish I wish I wish David Astorino, that you had been in my life age twenty eight and maybe uttered <laughs> those words to me because now whether at twenty eight I would have listened to them and I would have wanted oh, to so- hear them in the way that I did you know at, at fifty three. Um, 52 who knows you you never know do you but certainly that has made a huge impact on me and those two words have been you know two words that have really been a sort of guiding light for me over the last few years Um, and and certainly will be a guiding light for me because I think they represent the yin to the yang really yeah yeah um, and uh, you know I'll be forever grateful to David for having given me that gift, and Val, the other consultant who worked with me. But I think Stay Tethered is a brilliant summary of
0: yeah. what
1: needs to happen. And next. for you, that's
0: so right. Yeah, that's so it's so interesting, isn't it? It's so It's a
1: combination, Suki, really. Yeah, I, I, I've tried to learn a bit more about myself, uh, and yeah. secondly, tried to keep things interesting within what I'm doing, as opposed to seek interest outside of what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, and we'll, and we'll come and talk a little bit more about that. Um, perhaps around the book that you did with Nashi, because I'd like to talk and explore that a little bit. But I just want to go back on and actually that point of staying tethered, and perhaps if you had learned that, things might have been a bit different. If you look back on your career, on mm. career at the moment, is um, there one particular day that you look back on and you think that was the hardest day of your career?
1: Um. Yes, I mean the, the there've been two really. I think. Yeah. I mean. Well, th- I'm actually. May I pick more than one? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm
0: yeah.
1: going to pick three. I think. Yep. Um. One is the day that I resigned to Paul Baines Fair. Um, who was at that point the chairman of Europe of TBWA. Um. Probably one of the best, if not the best, boss I ever had. Um, Wonderful person. An extraordinary
0: leader. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Brilliant leader. Um, Gave me my opportunity. Um, I I didn't repay him in the way that I should have done. Um, And I left TBWA too early um, for a job that I thought was probably impossible to do, but that's maybe why I went and did it. Um, And that was a tough day. Not because I'd been fired or sacked or... Mm somehow I was leaving uh, uh, it, it, it with the agency in other than brilliant shape actually but it was just a very difficult day because I, I think I probably felt in my heart of hearts um that that it was a decision that um you know may, maybe maybe I was making in haste so that that was a difficult day i think the day that obviously um you know the 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 low the low situation evolved and emerged, and I found myself
0: tell people just a little bit about that. I said, Look, we don't need to go into yeah. Lowe's.
1: I mean, the, the, for those the, people yeah.
0: that don't know, so you left TBWA to did you leave TBWA to no, run, I, I yeah, I left I, TBWA I, to run those.
1: Yeah, I left TBWA to 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 go and be the the CEO of Grey at the time. Right, yeah. Um, if you remember, and uh, Grey had been looking for a chief executive for um, you know a few years, and um. And they approached me several times, actually. Um, and uh, eventually I said I would meet them. And it was a very difficult job to do. They they hadn't won a domestic piece of business for years. Yeah. Um, I mean, the grey that we're talking about then is not like the grey we're talking about no, now. No, you know, no. it, it was journeyed. a
0: very grey agency.
1: It was. It was. And, you know, the, the journey that Chris Hurst and, and Niels and, and, and Lucy and um, took grey on, you know, obviously that they, they did a wonderful job. And I hope I... You know at least help start that process, but so I went to do this job, and everybody told me it was an impossible job to do, and um, and um, yeah, and and I was there for you know what was a, a, a real kind of 18 month to two year period of real change, um, entire new management team. I hired brilliant people like Chris Hurst and Nicola Mendelssohn, and and uh, a, a planner called Dylan Williams, who many will know oh, yes. in the advertising industry. Probably, you know, singularly one of the brightest people I've ever, ever, ever come across in uh, advertising in any other industry. And um, again, you know, perhaps it, in hindsight made way too hasty decisions about uh, about some people. Um, and and then, of course, the that, you know, the, 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 the opportunity to uh, get involved in the management buyout of one of our clients came along. Uh, at Gray, we had a client called Air Miles, and the then managing director of Air Miles, Drew, who very sadly is is no longer with us, yep. um, approached me to 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 see if I wanted to help him buy Air Miles out of British Airways, and uh, uh, it was an incredible opportunity. And and again, you know that point you make about every two years something comes along, uh, and so I left Gray to try and buy the Air Miles business out of BA there was a lot of speculation. Was I doing a below the line loyalty program and whatever it was. And, and a lot of that speculation was misguided. We had literally left to see if I could, you know, we could buy um, air miles out of British airways. We didn't, we couldn't agree a valuation in the end. And so Drew and I found ourselves in the private equity world, did that for a few years. And then, and then Lowe's came knocking and said, would, would I come and help them because they were struggling. And, and I walked into Lowe's and um. <laughs> I got there at 9.30 in the morning, and um, at 4.30, a chap called Tim Mason, who was the then marketing director of Tesco, our biggest client by a country mile, um, came in for a meeting and said to me, um, Gary said, I'm really sorry, I know it's day one, he said, but I just want to let you know that we're putting the agency on notice. And so... (laughs) And so I said, oh, okay, um, great. Well, uh, you know, maybe maybe you could give me a few months to see if I could make a difference here. And uh, and, and by that stage, the tesco Low relationship had deteriorated to, uh, you know, a degree that, that meant we were never going to keep it. We kept it for a few more months. And then, of course, Frank and, and uh, you know, one or two other very talented people, including Paul Weinberger, the chairman, who'd, um, you know, come up with every little helps, went and set the road brick road up. And that was a very difficult time because I think nobody behaved well. I didn't behave well. I don't think the 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 the, the powers that be at low behaved very well. I don't think the the people that were, you know, trying to build the red brick road. I don't know how they feel about that process, but I I don't know whether they would say that in their heart of hearts they didn't necessarily behave as well as they should have done. I don't know. All I know is I didn't behave as well as I should have done because, you know, I had two, two or three of the major eight emotions flying around me. I was very angry. I was immensely fearful, um, and 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 so that meant that uh, you know I think I probably lashed out and uh, didn't behave as well as I should. And 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 so in the end, Lowe's decided to um, move on and, and suspend me because there was some talk about me having wanted to set up the agency that Tesco you know had gone to to Rebrick Row which w- was was you know not never true but yeah so that was a difficult day um i think very difficult actually uh, as i look back on it not least because it made the front page of uh, of a, of a couple of you know newspapers because obviously uh, frank was big news as well so i was I was tied up with that um yeah I think they would probably be I'm I'm not I, I won't go on beyond that I think in advertising they were the two most difficult I think for sure yeah. no question
0: and I mean look I, I think if anyone has had even one of those experiences in their career I think it would be quite difficult to potentially come back um you know you've had several mm. um how do you become resilient how do you pull yourself back and go do you know what I'm going to go again I'm going to try something new um what is it that enables you to do that
1: uh, well I think first of all I, I I tend not to I tend not to indulge in much self-pity in the sense that you know some of the instances in which I've had to dramatically reset have been entirely my fault. Um, you know, um, and so I, I don't I don't indulge in a great deal of self-pity and, and think well is me, because ultimately I I I've been willing to accept the implications of some of my decisions. And so that's the first thing you have to say is, well, you know, you've put yourself in this place and therefore it's time that you try to get yourself out of it. That's the first thing I would say. I think the second thing I would say is if you have a family, you know, that in itself is a natural kind of rocket booster to, um, you know, to guide you to try and um, create and reset, right? Uh, You know, that's a, a natural consequence, I think, of being a dad um it uh, is that you uh, in that in this instance you know so that's a huge driver for me and always has been um you know i'm very lucky i've got three absolutely you know wonderful children and every parent who has ever been on this podcast and has ever lived thinks that their kids are amazing and most and almost you know all of them are all children are absolutely fantastic so so that's the second thing and then i think the third thing is i do have a zest for life i have a thirst for knowledge i have a thirst for looking at different ways of of coming up with new ideas or things that I might want to do or be interested in or you know I've still got a thousand things I want to do with my life you know um I'm I'm not going to do them yet by the way for anyone that's listening to this that might currently be in our business don't worry Uh, I'm (laughs) in it it for the long term but I'm staying tethered but you know I've got a thousand things I want to do um and I won't be able to do them all uh, I'm sure, but um, so I, I think the combination of those three things, Suki. Really,
0: yeah. There's
1: not a lot of self pity flies around ever. I try and accept responsibility for the decisions I've taken. My family have been an enormous kind of rocket boost in helping me get through and 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 give me, you know, give me impetus to to go again. And and, and thirdly, I've got a huge zest for life. I think and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, did you? I mean, you listen, you know me, you'll you'll know whether that's nonsense or not. But I think that's probably true.
0: Uh, I would say so. I would say so. I mean, I think there's a couple of things I reflect on when I think about you. I mean, the first one, I, I think, has to be your dad died very suddenly and you were, I think, we we university.
1: Yeah. So it's been my university days. Yeah. He um yeah, it's it's a really good point. I mean, Dad, yeah, dad, dad was killed in a road accident. In fact, he went out one day and and and, and quite literally got run over by a bus, as you know. Mm. And um, you, you know, was 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 in in hospital in a very very bad way, and 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 we had to switch the life you know life support machine off. So, yeah, I, I think it's a very good point. I, I mean, I lost my dad at a very young age, and and even now funnily enough i will often say to my son who's now 24 mm. when i'm offering whatever advice i want to offer <laughs> up I, I try and minimise now actually with him um, uh, but, but you're, laughing you're laughing because you're laughing because you 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 know um, you know that i haven't always um i haven't always been a, a, a shall we say a kind of model of uh, of holding back on my advice Uh, but you know even now very recently I said to Tom you know this is look here's a piece of advice and I'm giving it to you because I wished at 24 I'd had my dad to give me that advice yeah um and I I didn't have you know and just that's not none of that is a is a reason or an excuse for um for for any anything that um you know may have happened in my life that uh, wasn't ideal but yeah it's hard it is very hard and as I reflect on it now I think it's a really good point you make um i think everybody needs their dad everybody needs their mum yeah. you know and and everybody needs or at least if it's not their dad or their mum somebody in their life that can act as a, a as a guiding hand actually yeah. and um and i and i look back and think you know I, I probably didn't have that in the way that in the way that i i yeah. could have done. and uh i think that has had definitely no question you know, must have and and has had some kind of impact.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I guess, uh, you know, some good and bad, actually, because I think it has made you, and you've seen other people, I've spoken to other people whose parents have died when they've been quite young, it does make you incredibly resilient and uh, I think quite self-sufficient. So Mm -hmm. my observation with you is, you know, when bad things happen, you tend to go off for a period of time. It can be anything from a few weeks to a few months to a year or so. So, you know, again, you know, my kids, my friends would say, Where's Gary? And we'd be like, Well, it's that time. He's just gone away for a while.
1: And he'll he's, come a, back. he's, having, he's having a reset.
0: He's having a reset. And we never quite know how long it's gonna be. Hmm. Um, and then he come back.
1: Um, yeah, listen. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I hope I've not had many over the years, um, you know, but um, but but, uh, you know, I certainly have had I've had periods where that's been needed. And I, and I think that's important because I think in a, in a period where, you know, you, you, you want to reflect on what's happened and then what next, it is important that you reset and that you reflect and that you work out how to go again
0: look I, I don't think it's a wrong thing at all and actually you know i know i it is a behavior trait that i have too you know i do tend to when things are really tough i like to kind of sort it out myself in my head yeah and then i tend to embrace other people and and get their help and support and i think you are one of those people um but i then think you know your children and you're absolutely right you know, of course, our families are all very important to us, and you do have three incredible children. Um, uh, and, and again, one of my the the loveliest story I do think about. I know lots of ones with you and your kids, but Tom is a spectacular cricket cricket player um he
1: plays he wouldn't say that by the way he uh he he would shudder by the way if he was listening to this and heard you describe him as a spectacular cricket player he'd say to me dad how could you have let Suki say that that's ridiculous I'm nothing like spectacular but but he but he's decent at it and he plays it at a professional level that's for sure but
0: uh, Gary who does he play for
1: yeah well he currently plays for Gloucestershire but um and uh yeah that's
0: pretty pretty impressive Um, anyway I remember when he was quite young uh, I think actually he was at Millfield at the time, but he was playing for one of the other county teams. And uh, there was this hilarious scenario where Tom would be playing. Ellie, your oldest daughter, um, at that time was going from where she used to do gymnastics
1: yeah.
0: along the kind of lines of uh, the boundaries. I think it's called. Yeah, it. exactly,
1: exactly. Um, and then me.
0: you decided that actually she shouldn't be doing gymnastics anymore. So you gave her a golf. Um, club and said actually Ellie what you've now got to do is practice golf so Ellie then went from practicing golf while Tom was playing cricket to then playing golf for England
1: yeah she captained England schools at golf but um... yeah
0: yeah okay so then but then the third piece of that was you were then banned from standing anywhere near the boundary line because you literally couldn't stop giving your son advice (laughs) so there was this hilarious scenario where Tom was playing Ellie was doing her golf I was there watching for some reason I think because actually I quite like watching your kids play and you were banished to the car so I'm like there watching your kids and you're nowhere around because you're not allowed to go anywhere near
1: yeah listen um, yeah, most of that story is true (laughs) but most of it is true but one slight, slight detail which is I think at the time that Ellie was uh, hitting a golf ball, however far it was on the edge of the cricket pitch, it was at Merchant Taylor School, actually, I remember it. But you came up to Radley College, didn't you actually yeah, when Middlesex she, were no, playing? She was, it, still, she
0: was still doing a and She was still that doing that was it. Actually. Yeah, she was a
1: golf at Merchant Taylors. And I think she'd taken up golf by then. But yeah, it, it's certainly true that if I look back um on um, shall we say, some aspects of my snowplough parenting, um, <laughs> as it pertains <laughs> to my um, absolutely fantastic and brilliant um son um yeah I, I wouldn't necessarily do that again and and by the way my my two girls will happily confirm that I learned my lesson uh from perhaps some of those uh, behaviors and have left them very much to it uh over the years such that uh, as you know Ellie despite being a fab golfer, um very much at 16, said to me, I had this really frustrating conversation in the car with you. You'll know this. Uh, we come back from a golf tournament and I was saying, you know, brilliant, Ellie, well done, you're fantastic. Like, I think it was the un- it, 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 national under 18s, I think. We had this conversation. I said, But do you know what? It's brilliant. You, you, know, you could you genuinely you could be one of you could be one of the best golfers in the world, you know. And she said, No, I couldn't, Dad. I said, No, no, you definitely could. She said, No, I couldn't. I said, No, you definitely could. I was getting really annoyed with that. I said, What do you mean you couldn't? She said, Well, that in order to be a best, the best golfer in the world, you have to practice a lot. And I don't love it enough to even practice a bit. So I never would be a good golfer. You know, and it's like one of those one of those brilliant moments that your kids say something to you, go, oh yeah, shit, you're right. That's a really good point. I'll move on. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we came back that night and, you know, Ellie kind of hung her golf clubs up. Although I can happily confirm actually that in the last two weeks, Ellie has gone back to the golf range Okay. and started playing golf again so she's 19 20 now she'll be 20 in april but so yeah maybe she'll come back to it yeah. And, and, yeah. and yeah yeah
0: and you do have a, a great relationship with your kids um okay to, just before we leave that one because i mm. this is another question loads of people ask me is yeah certainly ellie mm. and tom spectacular sports people mm. i think stansy plays sports
1: she does. Yeah, she's a golfer but uh, well plays golf for fun but um but yeah, Stanzi um um is a force of nature, a fabulous, wonderful actor. Um, um loves uh, performing. Um takes huge pride in it. Is very very good at it. Um and um it is incredibly articulate. She's 15 going on 25. Um and uh it is probably the most punchy actually. Uh and I use that in a, the, the the positive um uh, uh, uh sense, you know, the most uh yeah feisty of, of, of my three children in many ways. So
0: so just on the first two, so Tom and Ellie, uh, yeah. as as we have mentioned already, you are um like I remember the expression you said anyway, you are slightly not the tallest person and not the slimmest person i've ever known.
1: Yeah. And, more and built and for actually, comfort than speed and 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 more and...
0: built for comfort than speed. And i know mm-hmm. you love your cricket in particular and your golf uh and tennis and you do play those mm. but you would never expect you to have two children that are very sporty and i know Kath, you know yeah. is quite sporty but how on earth did you create two children So people ask me this all the time that, were, that are I mean seriously gifted as sports people it is
1: it, honestly it is literally nothing to do with me I mean I I got I, I don't know is the answer other than yeah I mean my there are lots of people in my extended family so Kath's dad great golfer brilliant golfer you know Kath um yeah um and yeah I don't know is the answer I really don't but as I say as you say when people you know meet my kids or have often seen them and then take one look at me and then they take a second look you know and I have to say to them I know exactly what you're thinking yeah. you know <laughs> I can happily <laughs> and I can happily confirm it is literally sod all to do with me.
0: Yeah okay <laughs> so, okay. But yeah, no, I, so I, I
1: I'm glad, I'm glad you clarified that yeah.
0: Good, good. Okay. And then um, I'm going to ask one more personal question and then we're going to go on and talk a little bit about... But the other one is, you know, we talk quite a lot about families and Mm -hmm. I've talked on this podcast people about blended families, all Mm -hmm. sorts of different types of families. Um, You know, you had a slightly complicated scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, You have three wonderful children with two different mothers. Mm -hmm. Um, But actually, and I for the first time, actually, for, for some time, saw Ellie and Stanzi together before Christmas time. Mm. And they clearly have an extraordinary relationship, which was just delightful to see. Mm. Um, and as you know, I know Tom and Ellie quite, quite well. Um, how have you enabled that to happen? Because that's quite a journey to get to.
1: Yeah, it, 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 it is. And uh, again, um, some of it massively self-inflicted you know, did I always stay tethered? Um, no, I didn't. Um, and, and that, you know, that clearly meant, you know, that clearly meant that, that it was harder, um, than it ever should have been. And again, I take and hold my hand up and take responsibility for, for, for my part in that and in a, in a very big way, but, and it hasn't always been easy, you know, I, I, for anybody really. Um, it is obviously the case that it gets easier as your children get older because they can begin to form relationships with each other independent of of parents generally, Um, and that's helped hugely. Um, But honestly, it it, it was in part driven by a very, very blunt and direct conversation that I had with Ellie uh, when Ellie was in her mid-teens um, where where she really, you know, read the riot act to me actually a, about the fact that she wanted um, to have um, a, a, a brilliant relationship with Stanzi, uh, and she wanted me to make sure that I was doing everything that I could. And previously to that, I'd I'd done as much as I could, and um, so that was a big catalyst. Um, Ellie oh, me on really about it, yeah, yeah and so look, Dad, this is really important to all of us, and you're the catalyst for trying to make this happen. No. And that's the first thing. And I think the second thing is, um, and I hope neither of them listen to this podcast in the sense that, um, you know, I wouldn't want them to think I was talking about either Kath or, or Kirsten, you know, Tom Ellie and Stanzi's mums. But, you know, I think my relationship with both of them has dramatically improved because... I've been willing to lean in um, and show my kind of vulnerability and help and support perhaps way more and much more than I have done, um, you know, than I did in the distant past and, um, and behave better as well. I think uh, with both of them and uh, actively tried to behave as well as I could uh, with both of them uh, and put to one side, any of the feelings that might be associated with that, that, you know, the period when perhaps things weren't as uh, great as they should be. And so, yeah, so I think you've got to work hard at it. You've got to sign up for the mistakes you've made and you've got to be honest with everybody about you acknowledging those mistakes um, and accepting that it's very important to have that blended family because all three of my children are equally important to me. I love them all dearly, and they all have so much to bring to each other and the world at large that it was very important for me to make that happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you yeah, know, look, thank you for talking about it because I know that it's difficult. It's a difficult journey to go on for any parent, but I think it's one of those things that we all wrestle with, mm. um, and particularly you know, when it's not straightforward and you know, you're part of the making of it not being very straightforward. Yeah,
1: exactly. And 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 it's not just part of the making of it, but, you know, a significant part of the making of it. And um, yeah, that isn't always easy, but um, three wonderful children and uh, two amazing women, actually, in Catherine Kirsten, amazing women. Hence, I guess, they're wonderful children. Um, <laughs> broadly, it's not all to do with me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, but let's come on to, you know, you said again then you sort of reflected on some of that's about you changing. Um, you said kind of getting to 50 was a bit of a seminal moment for you. Um, and I also wonder, you know, one of the things that you did, I think was kind of pre-COVID, so maybe three, yeah, just,
1: three four yeah, years three, ago. Three, four years ago, yeah, pre, pre and sort of in, pre and then just into COVID really.
0: Mm. You... Um, ghost wrote although you're mentioned in it so I'm not sure if that's proper ghost writing but anyway you helped uh, yeah. the brilliant cricketer nashi um mm. write his autobiography and yeah. which i think one is a is a brilliant and fascinating autobiography it's great if you're a cricketer of course but actually from my perspective what i really um valued and i in a hugely admire him and you for um is talking about the mental health aspects and Mm. some of the challenges he faced some of the things he's done about it and i know that by you going through that journey with him part of that was about you going through your own journey Mm. um and i just wonder just tell us a little bit about that book for those people that haven't read it or or you know might want to know a little bit about it
1: yeah um Thank you for asking about it, because it was a very important moment, actually, in my my most recent years, actually. A very good friend of mine, you know him very well, David Nash, um, ex-professional cricketer, larger than life, brilliant guy, very, very successful entrepreneur um, in the hospitality event space. Um, I've known him a long time through cricket, approached me and said, Um, look dog because he calls everybody dog as you know dog Um, or bud I get or bud yeah or ledge ledge I don't know I
0: don't get ledge or dog so you know obviously I'm
1: not that close to him no he did so he said look dog he said um he said you did English at uni um you you can write um can you write my book for me I was like matey it doesn't work like that right just because I did English at uni doesn't mean so I can write your book, right? If somebody does geography, they can't climb Mount Everest naturally. You know, it's one of those. He's like, no, no, don't worry about that. You'll be great. We'll do it together. It'd be a laugh. We'll crack on. I said, okay. Anyway, so because I thought to myself, well, what's the worst that can happen here? He and I will write not a great book together, and it'll never get published. No one's going to get hurt. It'll only be Nashie that's disappointed. And I'll at least have given it a go. I eventually said to him, yes, let's crack on. I'm interested in doing it. And we did it and we wrote it and 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 I wrote it for him and we spent hours together. And I'm very proud of it, actually. And I'm very proud of him for having done it. It's called Bales and Boardrooms. It's a story of his journey through sport um, and what he learned that allowed him to be a brilliant, brilliant businessman. But it's also a story about somebody who suffered very, very, very poor mental health, made huge performance anxiety issues through cricket and really his journey in understanding more about himself through that process. And I, I was interested in it and I still am Suki. I I can't because Tom is currently in the professional cricket world, comment on um, cricket's approach to mental health. Um, but let me just say this, that um, if ever Tom does leave the game and I have the opportunity to comment on it, um, I, I will do because I think cricket has a very long way to go and I can't comment on other sports because I'm not directly, um, I have no direct experience, but I do have some direct experience of that sport. And and, and let's just say it's got a long way to go. So I was fascinated by it. We wrote the book. Um, I I just loved the process. I loved talking about some of the issues that Nashi went through. And that's because I, 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 I find and know that all of the things that you're involved in um, let's reset itself. The brilliant work that you do, the brilliant work that some of your partners do like David Beanie, is so important. It matters so much that you front these issues up, that you give people the opportunity to talk about them. And in my own small way through the book, I tried to do that myself with David I do know through lots and lots and lots of messages that David got that people who've read the book, uh, who themselves have struggled, have found it easier to talk about their issues. I know that he's had lots of messages from people saying, it really helped me to hear and read about somebody else who went through that process. Um, It's taught me a lot about the world of business through sport. And so it's been great because... You know, it 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 allowed me to do something I'd never done before. Created some discipline. Uh, you got to write a certain number of words a day, and taught me all sorts about typesetting a book and how you create a book. And Andrew Strauss was involved, as you know, um, and we made um, you know fifty percent of the of the profits of the book, um, you know, significant profits from the book went to the Ruth Strauss Foundation, Andrew Strauss's late wife, um, and, and Straussy as. He's better known to his mates, um, did the forward, the ex-England, one of the most you know, successful England cricket captains of all time. And I loved it, and, and it gave me a new lease of life around writing, around ghost writing. And as you know, I, I then began the journey of starting to write for other people, which I still do. It is now, I suppose, classically my side hustle. Um, but it gives me so much joy, so much pleasure. And of the thousand things I said to you earlier that I want to do, about 998 of them are books I want to write.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and I can see that. And actually it is a great book and we'll put some details for people that might want to get a hold of it. What did, you know, apart from, getting you to understand that you had a real passion for writing and that you could do it and you could Mm -hmm. actually finish a book, you know, in comparison to, I mean, I I love the book Let's Reset that I did. It's a very different kind of book. Um, I think, uh, frankly, doing any kind of book, but particularly one like that where it's a lot of words, it's a lot of stuff. (laughs) Just even just doing it is amazing. Um, But what did you learn about yourself?
1: Oh, what did I I mean, I learned so much actually. Two of them you touched on. I learned that I loved the process. I love doing it. I just love the process of sitting down with somebody else and understanding what they felt and thought and 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 translating that back to them in a way that they found exciting, actually. In, in a way, that was a it was an immensely, immensely satisfying experience, you know, to take somebody's thoughts, translate them into words. That they hadn't written that i'd written for them and play them back and you know um i, I learned about the power of stories you know mm-hmm. the, that book is really a collection of interesting stories that Nashi went through and weaving those stories and understanding the emotions that those stories evoked but probably you know the greatest thing was actually seeing the look on david's face the day that that book arrived at his house mm-hmm. When yeah. he could show his mum and dad, and his family, and his mates, and and the pride that he felt in having that in front of him, I mean, I'll never forget it. David's a hugely close friend of mine. I, I you know, um, he's a wonderful person, and I, I was just so happy, so happy to be able to give him that gift. Yeah, um, that, that, yeah, that, yeah. In 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 a way that I hadn't really ever. And of course, I felt that's that that sense of wow this is brilliant you know but but in in such a personal way um I'd not experienced that very often in a professional sense and it brought him so much joy and still does I mean he you know whenever we're together now and we're with somebody else he'll say to me oh you know I'll say to this person oh you know Gaz wrote my book for me you know and uh uh yeah so it it, it's been brilliant and and I hope and want to do that many more times between now and
0: Yeah, yeah I, can really cool. I can see that. I can see that. Um, you know, you, you now have a business that is all around storytelling yeah. uh, with clients professionally. But um I was thinking what would be just helpful is to you naturally tell stories. <laughs> you know, you are you're a great storyteller. You um you even, you know, the the thing I said i um, both of you girls at was a carol service that you were doing just before Christmas and you read a wonderful story. So you even read stories beautifully and you are a very comfortable orator. Lots of ad people are to be fair. Yeah. But you know, I, I don't know many people who are as good at it as you are. For those people listening, what makes a really good story now I'm not talking about like a really good book but if you're no. trying to tell a story because there are relatively few people that actually I think tell an engaging story even if it's just a really short one
1: hmm.
0: what is it that makes a good story
1: well it, <laughs> uh, wow there's a entire seminar and podcast in this in its own <laughs> right but um I listen I, I would point some of the some of your you know all of your listeners in the in in the direction of you know lots of things I suppose, but one of them is Pixar's twenty two rules of storytelling, right? Pixar were the ultimate storytellers in many ways, you know. And um, sat around imagining what would happen if robots could talk, or what would happen if you know toys could come to life, or whatever you know it would be. And that's a fascinating start point. And 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 they talk about a lot of things, um, including by the way. You know, ditching your first five ideas and 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 not worrying about those because they will never be your best. I think the essence of a good story really lies in understanding the basic eight emotions that really exist in the world. Okay. Right. Okay. So you could go to many sources, and Daniel Goldman is one of them, and and there are lots of people who talk about emotions, but fundamentally. Right. The world revolves around eight emotions and they are anger, fear, disgust, enjoyment, sadness, shame, love and trust who run around in the same gang, joy and excitement who run around in the same gang. And then the one that a lot of people forget, which is actually at the heart of great communication is surprise. Right. That's a core emotion. Now, if you factor those in and think, well, what emotion do I want to elicit Right, from telling this story? And you think about those eight emotions, and I'm not saying I go through this every time I tell a story. But I do think that the the understanding that you've got to evoke one of those emotions in telling a story, if, if not three or four of them at the same time, is very important. So as you know, I I I like a good story, and sometimes I like, you know, p- p- people say to me, oh, God, for God's sake, get on with it, with you? And, and one of the reasons I don't get on with it quite often is because you're trying to build up that sense of anticipation that leads to the surprise, you know. So yeah. there's a, you know, so that's one thing. I think second thing is, you know, you have to, you know, if you can tell anything, if you do anything with degree of passion, excitement and energy, people kind of buy into it, you know. So, um and, um, and, and, and that's the second thing. Thing. I think the third thing is understanding your audience is so important, right? If you're telling a story, it, it's true of anything, isn't it? It's certainly true of my old world in advertising and the new world I'm in now. Um, I think that's hugely important. But I, I think those emotions are really important to think about, right? Um, and obviously, surprise and e- enjoyment and and joy and excitement, you know, are things you can definitely evoke um through storytelling. I was you know the wonderful the wonderful uh, Jeremy Connell. Wait, who I think you've had on this podcast actually. I have.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the the, the 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 the
1: you know the IBM man as I'm going to call mm-hmm. it. And yep, for those yep. people who haven't heard his podcast with Suki, please go back and listen to it. You know, he he talks brilliantly, doesn't he, about finding the joy and the positivity in everything and and that's another way to approach storytelling as well is to is to capture that joy and excitement so I think it's probably not a succinct answer because I'm not sure there is one um but But I think think it's
0: it's, it's really helpful isn't it because we spend a lot of time I think it lets reset doing two things one is just encouraging people to talk and I think you know what we've seen today you you've shown some great vulnerability Gary you've told us some real truths and some real learnings and resets that you've gone through. And I think that's really important for all of us. It's hard. It's really hard Mm. to tell the truth sometimes to yourself, let alone other people. Mm. Um, And a lot in our workshops, you know, as you know, what we're we're trying to do is to get people to just share some experiences um, in order to be able to help them be more effective at work, and and one of it is about doing that. But I think as leaders – um, being able to share those vulnerabilities in a way that helps other people open mm-hmm. up to learn, to change perhaps the culture of a company. I think the storytelling element of it is really important. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, in some ways, we kind of, uh, you know, in a presentation, a board presentation, you would never just go into a board and just wing it. No. Equally, I think we're getting to a a more sophisticated place now, post-COVID, as we begin to think and talk much more around what does well-being linking to performance mean? And so getting leaders to really think about those stories that they tell, the way that they open up and show vulnerability, um, I think is important. And it's probably the same for, and I don't know, but for the businesses that you work with, the brands you work with, getting getting to the nub of what the story is about is important, but then actually the way that you tell it, the way the individuals and the way that businesses tell it is equally, if not even more important.
1: Yeah. Listen, you've hit the nail on the head. It's, it, it's not only important, it's vital. You know, this notion of leadership showing vulnerability, and you've had many on this podcast over the years, um, much more successful than, than, than I, than I've ever been. But, and, and and I've always been struck in listening to them how powerful that is. Um, I think that's a major thing. I think the second thing is look, our, our company, which is aptly called Storians, uh, we spend our lives advocating the power of storytelling in a particular sector, which is in the professional services world, leadership, management, consulting, law, accounting, um, HR, et cetera. And in that world, most of the assets are the people and what they think whether you're coaching a leader, whether, you know, whether you're advising a client in the in, in, in the consulting world, um, whether you're standing in front of them because you're their lawyer or whatever it might be. And so helping those people amplify their voice in an authentic way that is relevant and distinctive to the work they do is so important. And the way that you do that is by telling the best stories. And, and by acknowledging that if you can capture something around those eight emotions and evoke one of those eight emotions or several of them through the stories you tell, it, it is true that you are more likely to get somebody to feel something. And if you get somebody to feel something, you are more likely to get them to do something. Yeah. yeah right. And, 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 and yeah. that feels to me like such an obvious and straightforward equation. But, of course, so many people don't do that right and and so they tell stories that don't people make you know that people don't feel anything and therefore they're not likely to do anything so for our business now as i say which sits in a particular space that is very important and our commitment to the power of storytelling is is immense because for all the change there's been in the world suki thompson from the dawn of time right there is one thing that has not changed ever and that is that the first person that ever stepped on the savannah felt the same things that you and I feel today. They felt anger, they felt fear, they felt disgust, they felt enjoyment. And those things have never changed, which is why storytelling is timeless and vital, not just in your in in the way that you tell stories, but the impact that brilliant stories can have.
0: Yeah. Um uh, brilliant. Uh, I completely agree, Gary. Uh, and I actually hadn't thought about it in that in that moment. Actually, it is that it is the same emotion. And what an extraordinary thought that those very first people feel exactly the same emotions that we do now. They're amazing.
1: Nothing's changed. There's no, 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 no.
0: So funny, isn't it? Yeah. There's
1: no nuance around funny. anger or fear or love no. or joy or excitement. It is just what it is.
0: Just what it is absolutely um look, Gary, i could talk to you for so much longer but my time has come to yeah. the end thank you so much if there is we you know th- we're still at that moment of resetting for the year some people are we don't like having new year's resolutions we like having constant resets um stay tethered is clearly um a rallying cry for you now uh, I yes. shall remember that yep. and I remind you of that in times. Yeah, like, please, time please. Yeah, do. And, yeah,
1: um, and one of the reasons I'm happy to give it to it on this public podcast is I want other people to hold me to it as well. And I've asked those people closest to me uh, to make sure they hold me to it as well. So,
0: Well, yeah. we'll all do our best, I'm sure. What, what is the one thing uh, over the next three months that you're going to do to... Um, kind of live that embodiment of staying tethered that's going to look after your own personal well-being
1: Um, continue to read as much as I can I I love it Um, I get great joy from it Um, I I, I do it every day Um, I, I start my day with it I end my day with it I just keep reading as much as I can as often as I can and and as many as many different things as I can uh it is my that's my kind of you know secret weapon really currently to 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 keeping myself as as mentally and and yeah, as mentally fit and as as interested and excited as i can
0: yeah brilliant well we know that on our seven needs of wellbeing and performance your creativity outlet Uh, which is things like learning new things, being creative is always off the scale. So, (laughs) you know, uh, brilliant. Thank you, Gary. Lovely, as always, to talk to you. And thanks for sharing your stories today.
1: Zuki, thank you very much indeed. I really love talking to you.
0: Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network.